Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Hello, and welcome again to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. I'm John Russin, your host, and as always, I'm partnered today with my dear friend, Pastor Frank Friedman. How are you today, Frank? We're doing very, very well, John. Getting some things off our plate, which is really nice. So we'll probably enjoy a few days respite before a lot more things are put on the plate. It's the nature of the game, but we're doing well. Oh, it certainly is. You know, life is crazy sometimes, but Jesus is always awesome. Yes, sir. Now, dear listeners, if you've joined us today, uh, you've caught us in the middle of an ongoing series that we are calling The Power of Story. And this is where we engage some deeper conversations with brothers and sisters in Christ. And we look at the faith in their lives, what led them to Christ and, and what led them to see Christ as their life. We've learned during this series, Frank, that there's really nothing like the power of a personal story to communicate a message. Because when we tell our story, we really invite others to join us uh, through the peaks and the valleys of our lives and the highs and, and yes, our absolute lows that we share with each other. Because we know that uh, while our story might help to frame our past, Frank, and uh, our stories don't define us. They don't mandate who we are. Only Jesus does that. And so we rejoice that no matter what the circumstances are in our life, we have a Savior who's bigger than all of them. Our guest today is Mr. Bobby Allen. He's founder and CEO of Legacy Leadership and Coaching. You can learn more about Bobby at uh, LegacyLeadershipAndCoaching.com. Good afternoon, Bobby. How are you today, my friend? Good afternoon, John and Frank. Thank you for the privilege to be with you, good men. It's an honor to have you here, my friend. Now, we've got uh, a couple of episodes that we've set aside. So we want to take some time, Bobby, and do some really close-up looks into your life, your background, your walk with the Savior. And we know you have a wonderful story to share. So we want you to begin that. Uh, go back uh, to wherever the Holy Spirit leads you into your early years and how they shaped you as you moved through life and prepped you for adulthood. Well, what a privilege to be with everybody. Thank you so much. And one of the beautiful memories I have is a story my mom told me many times. I'm the oldest of five. At three years old, she was trying to get my little sister at the time ready to go on a trip with she and I, my dad. My dad had gone to the store and my little sister was crying. I mean, just out of control crying. Apparently I came to my mom at three and said, what is wrong with baby? And she said, she's very hungry. Daddy is gonna go to the store. And when he gets back, we're gonna go get her some food. So I came back and I would begin to be curious and ask her again. The story has it, she came back out and couldn't find me. And she darted out of the apartment and started asking around to the neighbors, have you seen little Bobby? I can't find him. 
they said no. And about that time, my dad had come back and she said, I can't find little Bobby. And my dad gets out of the car and looks down the street. He said, it looked like about a block away. It looked like he saw a little tiny person. He started running toward me and he caught up with me just about the time I was ready to cross an extremely busy, busy street, which would have either potentially injured me or could have turned to a fatal situation by getting hit by a car. He sweeps me up. He looks at me right in my eyes, scared to death, said, Bobby, where were you going? He said, I looked up at him, opened up my hand. I said, I need to go get Wawa for baby. And after I came to know the living God at 18 years old, I grew up in an unchurched home, a lot of abuse, emotional, verbal, physical abuse, things going on that were uh, part of our family, aunts, uncles, cousins, alcoholism, and these things. I come from a, a deader than dead uh, legacy of, of, of family and, and none of it included church or, or anyone named Jesus, never heard of him. And uh, when I met him in, in 1980, he reminded me of that story. As a matter of fact, it was so powerful. He said, I had began to move in your heart to feel my love and compassion for people and to pursue ways to care for them and love them. And, and one day I would find out that I was being prepared to enjoy the privilege of sharing his heart for the people whom he made. And that was the beginning of him beginning to pursue me and pursue my life. How was that interpreted for you? Was your earthly father sort of a picture of the heavenly father running out to the prodigal? Tell me how that ties in to that yes, salvation at age 18. Question. I unfortunately, after my dad left my mom eight months and four, uh, four kids and eight months pregnant to leave for, for Hollywood to make it in music and, and acting, he... I would lose my best friend. But what I did gain was a verbal, emotional dad who wounded me deeply. So I never had the privilege to really get to know my dad for many years, except in an abusive way. And when I met Christ, I learned how to forgive him. I learned to trust Christ as my life. God loved me through him. I remember to see him as an emotional quadriplegic. And God just made me see that clearly and his compassion was able to flow through me, but I never saw any of the good side of the things he had done. And God began to help me after my dad passed away just a year and a half ago, I was sitting in the back thinking and wondering and praying and thinking about my dad. And God began to show me, you know, when I had your dad run after you and save you, there's many things he has done that I used him for. You endured and forgiven him for all the bad things, but you didn't have the insight to leverage some of the good things. You couldn't see it. So now I'm going to take you on a journey to see some of the beauty of the, even though there was ugly sides. One of them was, yes, yeah, seeing my dad running after me um, would become the beginning of me seeing God pursuing me in my life, continually running after me unconditionally to save me, to sweep me up and swoop me up time and time again, to show me that he is a father that can be trusted and loved, never will emotionally or verbally abuse me, never leave me. And uh, once That's neat. Me, That's wonderful. You know, Bobby, as I'm listening to you, it's uh, I'm reminded of Psalm 23. You know, when he says, surely goodness and mercy 
followed me all the days of my life. But when I looked at the Hebrew there years ago, when I was teaching that passage, it, it doesn't really translate followed. It's actually pursued me. And so it's really fascinating that, you know, you say through your dad, your earthly dad, the heavenly father was pursuing you and using those circumstances to bring you to a point of faith. Could you define for us how you came to faith at 18? Yeah. After learning to anesthetize the hurt and the pain of losing my dad and being acquainted with rejection and abandonment, it began to lead me into a life of finding my needs met in girls and succeeding in baseball and wrestling. MVP baseball players, a champion wrestler. I went pretty far in, in both actually. And um, after realizing the pain was so big and the hurt was so deep, I began to act out in many ways. And one of them was just um, really turning inward. And while you're popular, you're scared or lonely and afraid at the same time and always seeking and searching for answers. How, how did the world get here? What happens when you die? Why is that called, you know, air? Who called it molecules? Why is that a tree? And, and then I got into drugs and I lost some of my privileges to continue on in, in sports. And um, it was then that an uncle got saved who met the living God. He used to beat his wife and kids and we were very, very close. My mom had eight brothers and sisters, extremely close, huge family, cousins, sisters, brothers, very close. And uh, one night he went to go see a movie called The Late Great Planet Earth. Back in the day, Hal Lindsey put that out. And boy, my uncle came back home, fell on the living room floor and cried out to Christ. And every night now, he would cry on my aunt's feet, seeking forgiveness and mercy. He met Jesus Christ and he changed his life. And he immediately began to pursue me. And he called me for a year every day telling me that Jesus loved me, that he died for me. And I wanted nothing to do with him. I didn't want to be hearing about this. I thought church and people and God were weird and unathletic and they don't play music and all the things that I'm gifted with. I figured I have to turn into a strange weirdo and a church going loser because obviously people who go to church are losers and they need a, a crutch. And so uh, he began to continue to pursue me Meanwhile, his life was changing every day and just incredibly a different man. So at family gatherings, we'd see Uncle Fred and say, my goodness, what happened to him? A vicious wolf is a precious little kitten just loving and hugging and weeping. And um, it just intrigued me. Got in a car accident, wasted one night with my girlfriend, fell asleep at the wheel, should have been killed. Car was a piece of tin. We got out of it without a scratch, and I called Uncle Fred the next day. If God loves me, why did he take my car? He said, come over, get a ride, and I'll tell you all about it. Well, that one visit turned into three months. The second night there, reading a thing called the Bible, never heard of one, never touched one. I met the living God that night, and uh, I cried out to him when I asked my uncle and my aunt and cousins, please stop talking about the Bible we're reading, because I... There's something going on inside of me. I don't know how to contain it. It's an emotion and a feeling I'm not used to. They got up and said, we're going to leave you alone with God. And I begged him, please don't. I've, I've done so many bad things. I've done everything you say. The Bible. I've just done bad things. Please don't leave me. 
he said, I, I think Jesus wants to, to love on you. So when he left, I got two words out that I remember, Jesus, if you're, and then I just started weeping. And for me, it really was an emotional experience. I know some people hear stories and they wonder if this is hype or exaggerated. Uh, I, I felt from the tip of my toes all through my head, a surge of energy and power and a huge bright light. I fell on my face and I just wept. I felt like literally, I literally remember feeling like a million pounds of guilt and shame and sin and ugliness had dropped off me. And that was the first night in 18 years. I slept through the night uninterrupted. And when I woke up, my mind didn't race a million miles an hour. I actually woke up feeling peace and rest and whole. And I grabbed the Bible my uncle had given me that night before. And I read it every day and night for three months, cover to cover, weeping and weeping and weeping, and just could not believe I met the living God. That's a wonderful thing, Bobby, to pass from death into life. There's, I don't know that there are words to describe it. You know, you mentioned that you saw a radical change in your uncle, mm -hmm. that he went from death to life, from darkness to light. What happened in your life after you received Christ? Was there transformation, manifestation? Did other people see it? Uh, tell us about those first few months, even year or two after you became a believer. Yeah, Frank, you know, thank you. Uh, you know, Jesus was so real. He began to tangibly answer prayers for me. I mean, stuff that was just miraculous. I didn't know anything about the church, denominations, religion. I knew nothing except Jesus Christ. So I didn't know it was called praying and Bible reading and study. And I didn't know it was called evangelism. I didn't know it was called witnessing. I learned all the terms and the labels later. I just knew that I met the uncreated creator and I could not recover from it. And I just began to tell everybody. So I would see old friends and they had been hearing that Bobby Allen got, came in, got religious was the same. Did he almost die? You're kidding, Bobby? what he got religious i'm the furthest from you can imagine if you would have known me growing up that i would have ever come to know the living god from my narcissistic you know selfishness to uh, my accomplishments and i just was in the furthest thing from what people would define as someone into god or religion so i began to tell everybody about him and i be, i found out early when i would tell people about him they wanted to know him I didn't know what it was called. I didn't even know what to do. I just said, you know, I, I just was at a table at the kitchen table and I cried and I, I said his name and he just loved on me. Maybe you should try that. I didn't know what to do. I just said, just, just tell me, tell me you love him. I said, they said, what did you do? I said, I, I, I don't know. I just, I was reading a thing called the Bible and it moved me so powerfully that it made me, want to know if it was true. And then I began to ask questions and my uncle got up and said, we need to leave you alone with him. So I'd say, I tell you what, I'll just stand right here. I'll sit right here. I'll leave you alone with God. Just tell him that you want to know him. Just tell him you want him. You want to feel more peaceful, more restful stuff that I was experiencing. I just thought, well, I'll tell him that. Yeah. And they would come to know him. And I'd go tell my uncle, he'd say, you led four people to Christ. I said, I did. What's that mean? He said, well, what are you going to, 
where are they? And I said, well, I told him I would call him and maybe we could read the Bible together. He goes, you're going to lead a Bible study? I said, I am. What's that? (laughs) (laughs) And I began to just overflow of relationship. And I was, I was leading a Bible study at three months old. I didn't even know what I was doing. Yeah. You know, Bobby, I think you've hit on the heartbeat of what this thing called Christianity is really all about. I think in the church, we tend to make it something we learn, a doctrine, a message, a teaching. But in its essence, when we come and look at the New Testament, it is life. Uh, It's finding life in its true source, simply experiencing that life, and then expressing that life to others. Uh, And that's really what this series we're calling The Power of Story is all about. We teach a lot, and that's good, that's the lecture, but the lab where that truth gets confirmed in the school of life. And that's just what you've been describing is life begetting life. John, do you have any thoughts for us or questions for Bobby? Well, I'm listening to Bobby talk and my mind rolls back to my own experience. I too, Bobby, was saved by reading the late great planet Earth. I was a university senior in Maine and I had a a young lady friend and we played coffee houses together back in the day when coffee house music was quite the thing. And for Thanksgiving one year, she baked me some homemade molasses cookies, quite the thing in Northern Maine. And she gave me a copy of the late great planet earth because what I didn't know was that she had gotten saved. She had met Jesus just Mm. a few weeks earlier. And so she, like you didn't know much except, Hey, I know something and let me tell you about what I know. So I read that book and I think Bobby, at the end of it, I think my prayer of salvation, quote unquote, was about as uh, profound and astute as yours. Mm. And I said, okay, God, if you're real, prove it to me. And that Mm -hmm. was it. And then over the next couple of weeks, I began to notice my perspectives changing. Uh, The way I treated people was beginning to change. People were noticing. I was saying things that I'd never said before and not going places I often went. And then that year, I felt prompted to go to a Christmas Eve service, never been to one in my life. And I sat there and I was staring at the nativity scene. And all of a sudden, this huge epiphany exploded in my brain. And I remember saying out loud, oh, my God. It's real. Mm. And so, uh, again, you can't explain it. Just like you said, you can't explain it. I can't put it on paper except to say that my Jesus condescended to me. This young, silly, ignorant boy, not even a young man. I won't even credit myself with that. This young, ignorant boy who just said, help, please show me. And he showed up in a way I never could have imagined and began to make changes Mm -hmm. uh, that I never thought possible. So my friend, we have stories that are really rather similar. And it's amazing that uh, God will step down. He'll take whatever little bit you offer him and he will run with it. You know, my brain goes back to uh, the gospel of Mark where the, the man with the, with the sick child comes to Jesus says, Jesus, you got to help. And Jesus says, you know, 
you got faith? He said, well, I got a little bit of faith, but you know, help me, help my unbelief. And Jesus healed that boy. He took a molecule of faith in that man and he blessed him with a miraculous mountain of blessing. So that's the way my savior operates. He takes a molecule of faith and turns it into a mountain of blessing. And it sounds like he did just that same thing for you. Well, Bobby, we're going to run out of time pretty soon, but why don't you take us to your decision to go to seminary? How did you uh, come to understand that God was moving in your heart to bring you there? And maybe tell us about those seminary years, and then we can invite you back a second time to pick it up after seminary and what the Lord did in your life post that seminary time. I come from an uneducated background. My parents dropped out of school in the ninth grade and uh, none of my relatives were educated, poor on welfare. And so we had nothing and no connections. All I had was music and athletic skills. And what happened was my senior year in high school, I realized everyone was taking all these college prep classes and I hadn't even planned on going to college. I had no idea what I was gonna do. I was informed by the registrar's office, I wasn't gonna graduate. My coaches wrote all my grades in, so I never read a book, I never studied in high school. And so it was that time I started getting afraid and scared and embarrassed and think, what am I gonna do? I can't flunk high school. So it was when I came to Christ, the Bible is the only book I read and it became my prose, my poetry, my history book and my spelling book, it became everything to me. And he began to transform my mind and my heart I fell into accidental study habits. I was memorizing scriptures, memorizing chapters, and I didn't even know I can do that. I just knew that when I read the Bible, it seemed like God was talking to me and I was in a conversation. So what happened is I started going to church where my uncle was going. I, you know, they found out I was a musician and played music and that became a thing. But the thing that burned literally in my heart is every time I heard pastor talk, I knew that I knew that I knew that God wanted me to do that. And I didn't know how. God, how will I get there to tell people the burning going on inside of me to tell people about you and to share how I met you? So this was something that was inside of me constantly. And I asked everybody I knew at the time, what do I do now? I feel like I need to, I want to tell the whole world about I met the uncreated creator. How do I do it? What do I do? And I never got an answer that really satisfied me. God did not allow any man to satisfy my answer, although I got great responses. I would come back and say, God, I still don't know what to do. I later found out that I, I needed to know that he was the voice I heard, that he commissioned me, he uses man, he uses people, but I needed to know that I know that I know that he launched me and that it was his ministry. And I began to see, that's why Paul started his letters. Paul, a servant of Christ. Paul, a servant by the will of God. Then it started to connect to me. The authority was coming from the living God, not any man, but it didn't connect at first. And so my youth pastor said, hey, come with me to Simpson University, where I graduated, I got to run some errands. I said, sure. I went there. 
Little did I know all the pastors on staff had been watching me and they believed God's hand was on my life, but none of them said anything. So they had a plan to have a youth pastor take me over there thinking I was, well, he did have errands to run, but it was strategic. We're walking around. He said, hey, how do you like the college? I said, man, that's, this is beautiful. And he said, what if you went here and attended here? And I just thought that would, yeah, right. You have to be intelligent and, you know, get good grades. And I barely got out of high school. And he said, you know, Bobby, if the living God calls you, no man can stop you. Would you by faith fill out all the paperwork? And I said, mm, I'm going to respectfully decline. I'm sorry. I, I can't, I can't handle the rejection. I'm a champion. And I first, there's a first place and there's a last place. And I don't want to come out last and get rejected. And he said, would you just consider just filling it out? All I got to do is fill out the papers. And so about an hour of him talking with me and sitting there with me, I said, okay, I'll fill them out. And about a month later, I got a response that I was accepted to Simpson University, a Bible liberal arts college. I thought, how in the world did that happen? And I told my mom, I guess I'm going to go to college. She's, and by then, my family, aunts and uncles had been amazed by the transformation of my attitude, my speech, my life, the love pouring through me, the new care for other people, not just myself. I was the talk of the, of the family. What happened to him? He said he came to know Christ. And so I ended up going there and the first two years were just terrible. I failed and I'd go into the chapel and play my guitar and weep and ask God to get me out of there because I was a failure. And I didn't know how to study. I didn't have any clue. I mean, I got the syllabi. How do you read seven books, take four exams, write seven papers and six quizzes and seven tests in a semester? I thought you gotta be kidding me. What human can do that? And so, I, first two years, I just was a mess. By year three and four, I began to understand and grow and learn, and God began to connect things for me. And um, he started using me and speaking at little retreats and leading worship, and different opportunities were opening up, and I just did them. Never thought of ever of getting paid. I didn't care about getting paid. I just wanted to tell other people that Jesus Christ is alive and loves them. So I never even asked for a penny. I just went and did it. And so about my third and fourth year, I had three of my professors who were Dallas Theological uh, Seminary grads say, you ever thought about going to get your master's? I said, not at all. And they said, hey, there's a school that we went to. It's one of the, we believe it's one of the, it's the Harvard of seminaries. You want to go? And I said, definitely not. I, I, I don't, I, I just, it's, it's too smart. I've heard about that school. You, you got to study five years of Greek, two years of Hebrew, and you have to, no, I said, you have every book in the Bible in the original languages. I said, I would just, I would cave. I would, I would not make it. And they said, would you give it a try? And so they said, you have three of us for references. So they ended up encouraging me and praying with me to do it. I thought my third and fourth year, I'll go ahead and do it as I'm preparing to get married, as I'm preparing to graduate, while I'm in ministry and working. And then I got the letter back from Dallas Theological Seminary, a rejection letter. You're just getting married and we think you should focus on your marriage. But I knew a lot of people who went there as newlyweds and were accepted. So I took it very hard, very personal, very angry. 
very angry at God, very embarrassed. And I went into all three of my professor's offices and told them, I'm really upset, angry, hurt. And uh, Dr. Pat Hunt, just a phenomenal man of God. He's at Stanford University now, a couple, just a phenomenal uh, wise man and a brilliant mind. I was telling him and he just said, hey, he switched places with me, took my chair, made me sit in it behind his desk, which was humbling. And he just told me, you don't ever need a rejection or an acceptance letter to prove your worth to the living God. He said, trust God's got it. So all three professors had their own way to say they were sorry, got married, waited a year. Boy, I sure thank God for that. So I applied for Dallas Seminary again. I got accepted. And uh, man, I was somehow, some way, I went to this amazing school, ended up becoming top of my class and preaching award, the whole thing. And I just couldn't believe it because I actually was studying with some pretty sharp people. I, my whole time there, I felt like Sesame Street. One of these things just doesn't belong here. But uh, that's how I got to seminary. I got into leadership for two years because I didn't agree with everything there. And I knew that God, since I was three years old, had called, called me to be a leader, meaning when he borrows my skin, he accomplishes a thought, a dream, and an idea he's had before the foundation of the world. And he gives me the privilege to host in that dream and then to communicate it and do his legwork as he borrows my skin. So Wow, borrows my skin. That's a... That's an amazing way to put that, Bobby. You know, many believers will spend their whole lives wrestling with God, never really understanding that all he wants to do is just live his life through them. Or as you said, just kind of borrow our skin mm. and do his deal in and through us. Oh, Bobby, yeah. that's an amazing story. As a university professor guy like I am, uh, there is... Uh, there's no shortage of stories like yours where people receive rejection, but most of them don't have the encouragement that you had and they don't come back and learn from it and try again and receive what God is doing. So mm -hmm. what an amazing, encouraging story. We're going to pick this up next time, start here and then plow on ahead. I do want to spend some time talking about your current gig with Legacy Leadership and Coaching and how all these experiences in your life uh, are manifest in your job now today. So thanks, Bobby, for coming. Frank, last comments before we wrap up this episode. I just can't underestimate the power of encouragement that we can have on other people's lives. I know Bobby is a Dallas student. You sat under an amazing man named Howard Hendricks. And I'm sure you know the story, what an incorrigible little kid he was until he had one teacher say to him, I don't believe a word of what people are saying about you. And that turned that little man around and he became a worldwide influence for Christ. Mm -hmm. So that power of encouragement. And John, I think that's something maybe our listeners can take with them because in a very dark and desperate world where people are getting knocked down all the time, an encouraging word can help people get back up and walk again. Amen. That is so true. Uh, the enemy works on all of us. Uh, we have unmet expectations, broken dreams, our own personal failures. Others let us down. And when we tend to focus on those, 
uh, we probably will miss most of the opportunities we have to share a little bit of life with someone who desperately needs it, like Bobby in our story today. So trust your father to be the encouragement through you that he always is to you. So friends, thanks again for joining us on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Our guest today has been Mr. Bobby Allen, founder and CEO of Legacy Leadership and Coaching. Great ministry, great friend. Please check out our website too, www.ourresolutehope.com. Take a few moments, browse around, check out the growing list of resources we have available there. Pop us an email, sign up, please, for our newsletters. Let us hear from you one way or another. And of course, follow us on our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, and Frank, I'm an old guy, and all these names just sort of flow around in my head. I guess I need to come up to speed on some of them. And as we close, we offer you once again this reminder from Hebrews 6 that we have a hope, a living hope, a resolute hope as an anchor for our souls. So today and always, choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, He offers you Himself, His own life. He wants to live His life with you, in you, and through you as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.